You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Election hacks continue with a side helping of good government advice from, of all people, Mr. Putin. Al-Qaeda tries to reach the millennial jihadist market with ISIS-like information operations. The Internet of Things enhances its reputation as the Internet of Trouble. Cyber stocks see turbulence as downbeat guidance spooks speculators. Pork Explosion isn't a movie from the 70s, it's an android backdoor. And if you really must take selfies, at least try not to do so using a misspelled app. You've been warned. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary and week in review for Friday, October 14th, 2016. The week closes as it began with the continuing story of election-related hacks in the U.S. Wednesday evening, Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta's Twitter account was hijacked to tweet, Vote Trump. We shouldn't have to say this, but we do. It was a hack. Mr. Podesta hasn't jumped ship to Team Trump. It's since emerged that more than his Twitter account was compromised. Apparently, his iCloud account was also hacked and then wiped. This occurred some 12 hours after the latest WikiLeaks dump of predictably low-sounding emails. We repeat, no one's email has, in our experience, ever served as much of a letter of recommendation. Among the leaked emails were some that contained Mr. Podesta's password. We won't repeat it here, but we hope he's changed it by now. The FBI is said to be investigating the compromise of Podesta's accounts, along with other Democratic Party hacking incidents. Russian intelligence services remain the prime suspects. Russian President Putin shrugs continued denial, but then goes on to say that the whodunit's not important. Rather, it's the what's in it. Coming across like the good government blue-stocking few would have suspected him of being, Mr. Putin suggests that people should worry more about the dumped email's contents than they worry about how WikiLeaks got them. The unstated conclusion is that said contents ought to shock, shock us. With all due apologies to Mr. Putin, observers are fairly well convinced that the who in this particular whodunit resides in Moscow. WikiLeaks is a convenient conduit, but unlikely to be the hackers. The Russian interest is said to lie in discrediting the U.S. political system. The White House has promised to protect U.S. interests in cyberspace, but how the U.S. will actually respond to Russian hacking remains up in the air. At week's end, more foreign policy experts and defense intellectuals are calling for that response to be vigorous. If the policy mavens have their way, the U.S. will err on the side of toughness, but sanctions still seem the likeliest response. Al-Qaeda, now clearly the junior varsity in jihad, is receiving much the same military pressure as the ISIS varsity, and al-Qaeda is also turning to an ISIS-like campaign of online inspiration in the hopes of recouping its millennial jihadist mindshare. DDoS protection specialists at security firm Akamai continue their exploration of the IoT botnets that have been driving recent denial-of-service campaigns. 
They've found the showdown crypto vulnerability in at least 2 million devices. Observers express frustration that this vulnerability persists. It ought, many think, to have been dealt with long ago, since it amounts to a poor implementation of secure shell. Akamai is also reported on the other uses criminals are finding for compromised Internet of Things devices. Principal among these uses are tests of stolen credentials. The CyberWire heard from Rod Schultz, vice president of product at Rubicon Labs. He thinks the biological metaphor of a virus is an apt one and useful to understanding what's going on with the IoT security. Quote, connect a device to a network and you must model that device as a biological entity. History has shown that certain biological viruses have catastrophic impact on society. And now that we are connecting billions of devices to a network, it's time everyone understands that the same thing is going to happen to digital things. End quote. Schultz thinks giving devices unique credentials and identities could do against computer viruses what vaccines did against biological pathogens. It's been an up-and-down week in industry news as downbeat projections concerning security spending from Fortinet dragged down share prices around the sector. There have been exceptions like Barracuda, but in general traders have punished cyber stocks this week. Investors, however, see more promising fundamentals and so regard many cyber stocks and their exchange-traded funds as offering buying opportunities. Verizon says it finds the Yahoo breach material, hinting that Yahoo's bad news will affect Verizon's planned acquisition of the troubled Internet giant's core assets. Most analysts expect the effects to be a deep discount in price, not a cancellation of the deal altogether. Yahoo says it stands by its valuation. Finally, several new Android vulnerabilities surfaced late this week, including Pork Explosion, a Foxconn factory debugger left behind in ship devices. Pork Explosion can serve as a backdoor. We read that the backdoor was named by the researcher who discovered it. He said to be a barbecue enthusiast. The popular Nine Android app, used to access Microsoft Exchange resources, has also been found vulnerable to man-in-the-middle exploitation, but there appears to be a fix for this one being pushed out. And selfie enthusiasts, beware. A bogus video app promises great selfies but actually delivers identity theft. Don't be taken in by it. It masquerades as an Adobe Flash Player app, but those of you who proofread your screens carefully won't be deceived. As often as not, it announces itself as a Bodhi Flash Player. So keep it out of your digital abode and use a reputable app if you really must shoot yourself making duck lips. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers... 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. Joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Uh, Joe, uh, we got uh, a message from a listener who heard uh, our reporting recently about uh, the, uh, the Amazon's proactive approach to requiring people to change their passwords. Amazon went through and uh, sort of compared passwords against known databases of passwords that have been in big breaches. Mm-hmm. And uh, this listener said, so does that mean that Amazon has access to our passwords? I would say no. And the reason I say no is because uh, Amazon strikes me as a company that, that, that does security right. They have a huge uh, business uh, from Amazon Web Services. Uh, so the way uh, passwords are managed, uh, or stored rather, is they're stored in what's called a hash. And you can think of a hash as a one-way encryption algorithm. Okay. So I am going to encrypt something with the hope of never decrypting it again. Uh, and there are properties of a good hashing algorithm, and one of them is that given given the output from a, from a hashing algorithm, I, it's very difficult to determine the input. Okay. All right. Now that doesn't seem like a very good encryption scheme because now I can't recover the data, right? <laughs> okay. And traditionally, uh, you think of I'm going to encrypt this data because I'm going to need it later. But the way this it works perfect for ha- for hashing or for encrypting passwords. So if I enter my password. And let's say my password is password123 because I, I, I like to pick passwords that are going to get me hacked immediately. Right. right. So I pick password123. That password goes into the hashing algorithm, uh, and they, the, alg- the algorithm outputs what looks like a random string of characters. Okay. But if I enter that same password again, it will output that same string of characters. I see. Okay. So there's another factor that makes that much more difficult to guess called salting the passwords, which is where I pick a random series of of characters to either append or prepend to my password. That way now if you and I both have password123 as our passwords, our hashes are different. Right. So I can't just go through the database and look it up. So your reader asks, does that mean that Amazon has our uh, passwords stored? Um I'm going to go ahead and say no. Amazon is storing their passwords salted and hashed, and what they're doing is they're getting access, uh, and anybody can do this. Just go out on the Internet and look for it. You can find lists of known passwords, and these are passwords that have been found through uh, social engineering of passwords. People are predictable. They, they repeat the same process over and over again. Right. Passwords are actually fairly predictable unless you use a random string of characters. And what they're doing is they're essentially cracking the passwords that they have in their database. And if they're finding a match, they're notifying the user that they have to change their password. What do you mean when you say cracking the passwords in their database? Okay, so if, if I have a, a list of hashed passwords, imagine uh, you know, any, of these, any of these breaches where you hear that somebody's leaked out hash, hashed passwords. Right. There's a program out there called Hashcat, uh, which runs on GPUs, the graphics processing units, yep. that is incredibly good at parallel processing for, for hashing algorithms. 
uh, and it works really well on these graphics cards. So I can run, if I'm running MD5, which is nobody should be storing their passwords in MD5, but chances are there are a lot of websites out there that you have accounts on that are storing their passwords in MD5. Okay. Um, I can hash those passwords from a dictionary. I can, I can guess passwords at a rate of something like uh, millions a second. Take millions of guesses a second. Well, Amazon has their, their web services and their cloud and their elastic uh, computing cloud, all those different products. They have all this processing power. So it seems to me, if you know, I, I haven't talked to anybody from Amazon, but if I was going to guess at what they were doing, is they're using some of that processing power to go ahead and, and run uh, a program that then hashes the passwords uh, against users' uh, accounts and sees if they get a hit. And if they get a hit, then they notify the user. A hit being a matching a matching uh, a match to a hash. known password from one of the publicly available databases. Exactly. So there, so basically there's a technical way that they can they can uh, compare the passwords to the known passwords without them actually knowing what that password is. That's right. And and let me go on on record here and say that I think this is an incredibly smart thing that Amazon's doing because what they're doing is they're they're taking a database that they have that they've gleaned from these sources. Uh, that means that other people have that that list as well. Uh, and they are saying that your password shows up in this list. You need to change your password because it's too weak. Thanks, Joe, for explaining it. It's good stuff. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, it's my pleasure. My guest today is Dave Larson. He's the COO and CTO at Carrero Network Security, a provider of inline DDoS mitigation technology. With record-breaking DDoS attacks in the news, we asked Mr. Larson for his perspective on how we got here and what can be done to protect against what seems to be a growing threat. All these new large-scale attacks have the same persona, if you will. They're being orchestrated and operated out of IoT botnets uh, with many thousands, hundreds of thousands uh, of devices in order to get to the scale uh, that was seen uh, in the last week and a half. And so what do you make of this? Is, is this, uh, you know, the, the reports are that these, the scale of these attacks doubled what had been seen previously. Uh, is this sort of thing a game changer? Yeah, I, I think it is. Uh, I think it's not surprising. In fact, I actually believe that that terrorist attack was not the first one. I think one of the, one of the funny things about this industry is, is that people claim these sizes. Uh, but if you know anything about DDoS attack, oftentimes... There is tremendous overflow of these attacks as you get closer and closer to the origin of the attack. So I think these attacks have been well over a terabit in scale, and I think we've seen several of them uh, occur, uh, whether it's against uh, organizations like Krebs, whether it's against uh, PlayStation or Xbox over the Christmas holidays. Uh, these attacks have been with us, but I think they are going to get worse. Uh, I would argue that the Krebs attack at 665 gig uh, the only entities that can meaningfully stop these kinds of attacks are the tier one service providers that are transiting all this traffic anyway. And there is no reason for them to carry the attack. The, the, the mitigating equipment and solutions are available, they are effective, and they are economical. They can be used to stop this kind of activity before it even impacts anybody downstream. But only the operators themselves have the capacity and bandwidth scale to deal with the threat at this level. What are the motivations for why someone launches a DDoS attack? In the Krebs case, it was retribution, oddly enough, because he outed them as a DDoS syndicate. <laughs> so that was simply retribution. In reality, though, there are 
a host of motivations and and they're very wide ranging and it depends on the business that you're in. If you are uh, a carrier of large scale credit card transactions like TalkTalk, Talk, you might be attacked with DDoS for the purpose of distracting you for other forms of breach activity that are going on in your environment. Uh, if you're a media property or a news property, you might be attacked for um, ideological region, reasons along the lines of uh, political leanings. Uh, if you're a gaming site, uh, you will be attacked as, frankly, an accepted part of gaming activity. So the large uh, entertainment gaming operators, uh, the multiplayer, uh, massively multiplayer gaming, the, the users of the games, the players of the games actually view it as legitimate to DDoS each other and the game platform as part of the rules and engagement and strategies of the game. Hmm. So you can see there's a host of different reasons why, uh, but the fact is that the tools are virtually free. And so anybody with a reason, there's very little barrier to what to actually acting out uh, your motivations by actually launching a DDoS attack. So in this arms race, uh, you know, between the, the, those doing the DDoSs and those defending against it, you know, what is our current state? Is there an upper limit, a practical limit for where this can go? Yeah, unfortunately, we have arrived at a situation through what I would call undisciplined network architecture or not even that, just things that we allow to ingress into our network. People have had the sense that you can always just out capacity anything. So when when in doubt, add capacity. The problem with that is that the big operators have added capacity and now there is tremendous capacity and there is virtually no limit to the scale and size of an attack with IoT as a backdrop. If there are billions of devices that can be incorporated into bots, then the scale is literally limitless in terms of the attack size. But there is a bright side to this. There are very, very simple things that people can do from a network operator perspective that if implemented would take care of much of the problem. So there is a best common practice that is uh, defined by the Internet Engineering Task Force, the IETF, called BCP38. BCP38 is a best practice for ingress filtering that gets rid of spoofed IP addresses at the ingress to the operator networks. Well, if I just got rid of that problem alone, which is rampant on the Internet, allowing spoofed IP addresses, there's no reason to allow it. It would cut down the amount of DDoS by at least a factor of 10, if not higher. Um, so there are silver linings here. These large scale attacks are starting to wreck businesses. They're starting to cause real problems for the operators. And it is my expectation that they are now going to act. So while the attackers have the upper hand now, I expect that the operators are going to start to take at least the obvious common sense measures like BCP38 to start getting rid of much of the spoof IP attack that takes place in DDoS. If you're an end user and you're connecting to a carrier, ask them what their DDoS SLA is. Because I think what you'll find is that most of the time the DDoS SLA is, well, if you come under attack, we promise that we'll start to do something in 20 or 30 minutes. In the modern internet, that's not acceptable. Many of the tier two and three operators are now adopting capability, Google clearly has the capability of dealing with instantaneous mitigation, automatic mitigation. There is no reason to suffer DDoS. The technology exists, the capability exists, and certainly the bandwidth capacity is there. You just need to choose providers that are willing to give you a solution that will protect you from the problem. That's Dave Larson from Carrero Network Security. 
Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With identity orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.